What if the speed of light was 30 miles an hour? What if Earth had two suns? Which cereal mascot would win in a what fight? What if everyone lived underground? What if, it rained what if money grew what on if trees? What if pigs could fly? I don't know if that would actually happen. It's much easier to store a unicycle than to store a horse. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Absurd Hypotheticals, the show we overthink dumb questions so you don't have to. I'm your host, Marcus Lehner, and I'm joined here today by Alex Williams and Ben Storms. Say hi, guys. Hi, I'm Alex. Hi, I'm Ben. Alex is a guest on the show, friend of the show. I'm going to plug your stuff real quick, Alex, so people know who you are. First and foremost, Alex does awesome podcast called Broken Bulbs, where he interviews people about their failures, how they improved after that, a really cool insight into that. He does a bunch of other podcasts, but the one I am most excited for and is the fresh new one the fresh new kid on the block is your star wars podcast mm-hmm. called i promise the clone wars is awesome that's right can you can you promise me the clone wars is awesome Alex? i i can promise you that the whole point of the show is me and a buddy sit down and we we watch the clone wars and then afterwards we sit down and we talk about it we watch it kind of arc by arc because there's a lot of arcs there's a lot of episodes so we kind of group them together and the whole point is me trying to convince him that it's not just a kid's show. It's a really great, beautiful work of art. And I think by the end of the our little series here, I think he'll be convinced. So you can find that. I promise the Clone Wars is awesome wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and, and he's referring to the, the, the Clone Wars cartoon series. The, the, uh, they made a show that ran for seven seasons? Eight seasons? Uh, seven. Quite a while, seven. actually. Yeah. Yeah, seven seasons. It's an animated show set in the Clone Wars. Not the, not the first three movies, Clone Wars. Not the episode two Clone Wars. It's in that setting, but animated series. Really cool. I'm actually just a huge fan of it, not having heard of Alex's podcast. Um, I don't need him to convince me. The show is actually just legitimately awesome. So I'm excited to see what your buddy thinks of it and how that... You, you have an interesting approach to watching it, too, which I'm interested in seeing. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be fun. But we also have a good podcast right here, Absurd Hypotheticals. And our question for today is a weird bug grab bag. So first I'll, go, I'll start explaining um, a grab bag is usually we answer one question with three different responses. When we do a grab bag, we each answer a separate question on a theme. And, to, and today's theme is weird bug questions. We had a list of bug questions we were going to do, decided they were boring, and then came up with some more fun questions about bugs, but felt like we needed a qualifier that they were weird bug questions <laughs> before we got into the... Well, originally we had two bug grab bags planned, and this was to differentiate it from the regular bug questions, but now we haven't done the regular bug questions and are left with only the weird bug questions, so... Yeah, the regular bug questions were like, what if bugs were too big? What if bugs, if there were lots and lots of bugs or no bugs? Just like pretty, pretty basic stuff. But I'm much more excited to tackle these and... I'm going to start with the question that I did, because I'm quite excited to get into it, and I'm the host, so I can do that. You guys would have to wait. Oh. Plus, I really don't want to... Th- I want this like to be one of those questions that just leaves my brain after I'm done doing it, because I really don't <laughs> need the things that I had to think of in, in my brain anymore. Because my question is, what if all animals had eight legs? Or, as I've dubbed it, I've had it with these mother effing snakes and their mother effing legs. <laughs> <laughs> so... Really, the if, if all animals had eight legs, the kind of main thing that will differentiate, like, you know, big picture wise, is that being on eight, eight legs is quite janky for an animal. Like, there's that old adage where 
you know, a human could outrun a horse over short distances because it takes them longer to get their four legs sorted out compared to, like, your two legs. This is actually a true fact. I wasn't sure if... I thought this was just, like, a old wives' tale, kind of like, you know, turn of phrase. But no, this is actually true. But it's not like horses are stupid and can't figure out how to get their legs going and a smarter, more coordinated four-legged animal wouldn't, you know, do it. The thing is, the the main reason why animals with four legs tend to be generally faster than our bipedalness is the gait. So basically the form of running that they have. And you hear about like horses having like four different ways that they, you know, they run, they, they trot, they gallop, they, I didn't write them down and I'm forgetting the other two, walk, gallop, canter, and one more I'm forgetting. But basically they do have more complicated patterns, like very different patterns that they move through. And when, you know, these four-legged animals are sprinting, they're very fast. They're kind of built to maximize getting into this rhythm where they have a really long stride and they're going really fast. So that's why cheetahs are the fast animal. They're, like, perfectly designed to go fast. And a big part of that, like, the, the physics behind it is that the, the, the sprinting gait is the most effective because they are able to add, like, their whole body length to their stride. So, you know, if you're running, you have, you know, from one foot to the next foot is, like, how much you can cover in a short distance. And then if you are, you know, sprinting with four legs, the distance is from your hind legs to your front legs, and you can add your body length to that. So it's really the lengths of the gates that give the four-legged animals all this speed and, uh, you know, their advantage over us. Which, going back to evolutionary terms, is like, well, so how did humans survive? Because they, they really didn't hunt by, you know, sprinting down gazelle in those three seconds before they got their legs sorted out. They just couldn't catch them. What early humans did was that they were actually endurance hunters so the advantage of having two legs is that they're more flexible you can switch between your different gates and have a bit more range between them like a horse can like walk or it can run there's no real in-between jog and humans can do that which gives which lets them set like this moderately fast paced kind of marathon type pace for a lot longer than a four-legged animal can sprint so basically they just jog at the animals and keep them and just perpetually chase them down until the animal is too exhausted to run away anymore. Another advantage too is that animals are kind of worse at dissipating heat. Like, you know, humans are real good at sweating compared to other animals evolutionarily. Um, and like, you know, dogs and deers and things that don't have the sweat glands and, you know, rely on panting to cool down, um, overheat easier. And so it's kind of actually like not the nicest mental image that we just like chase down these animals until they literally just can't go on and just like perpetually hunt them. But that's what we did. That brought us to the top of the food chain. So that's kind of just being two and four legs. So are eight legs twice as good as four? Not even a little bit. There's not too many, you know, references for eight legged gates, except for a spider. And so the way the spiders moves is that the legs kind of just move kind of in pairs. So like, you know, each quadrant kind of moves in a pair, like Imagine just a person walking with two legs and then four sets of those at, you know, the four corners of the spiders. So a spider's gait is only a half body length, which isn't particularly conducive to speed. So we're all going to be having that same kind of problem. So the main complications that having eight legs on every animal brings up is that all the animals are now significantly slower. Evolutionarily, having all these extra limbs is really inefficient from like an energy consumption standpoint, because you have all this extra mass you're moving around that isn't like, you know, your important organs or like, um, you know, specialized things. Like you, you're just adding a lot of mass and things and slowing yourself down further. 
And they're pretty useless for some animals. Some animals don't need legs, like fish. Snakes also don't really need legs. Um, and I, I think my my favorite image that we had, the one that was the least horrible, was I thought it was really funny for an octopus because I did not count tentacles as legs. So it has <laughs> both its eight tentacles and then also, I imagine, eight legs underneath. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't just replace the tentacles with the legs? No, oh, I'm going to get eight not. tentacles oh, plus eight legs. Okay. <laughs> just add legs. I dig it. Which yeah. is ironic because octopus isn't that literally like like eight feet <laughs> what is yeah. what the name uh, means i'm not sure of that derelish. i think the only that thing is... i know about octopus language etymology is that it's octopuses is the technically correct plural of them because it comes from the latin just because that's what english decided it's one of those things where actually octopuses and octopi uh, are both correct but octopi is like the less technically correct one you can use both without <laughs> with it being correct but octopuses is the more official one. If you have to pick one, it's octopuses. Octopi is usable, though. So if your friend argues with you, like, you know, if I come to you at a party and say, uh, it's octopuses, not octopi, you can be like, screw you, it's not. And you'd be right, not me. <laughs> so kind of looking at animal competition here. Funnily, I think the animals that are going to be best off in this eight-legged world are the animals that don't take advantage of their legs very much. Because if everything walking around is going to be janky as heck, the best predators are going to be the ones in the sky. Really, the king of this food chain is just going to be like an eight-talent eagle. Ooh, yes. Which is really terrifying in its own right. <laughs> like, just imagine like this, just, yeah, just a, a, a bundle of claws just coming down at you from the sky. And that's going to be like the apex predator going around. Because who's going to run away from it? There's no, like, rabbits are not going to be able to, to sprint across the field. They're going to have so many hoppy feet that they're just going to like get eaten <laughs> i just picture a rabbit stumbling around a field trying to get away but it can't because all its feet are in the way yeah it just got eight all it can do is jump straight up really high yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it but while i kind of dug down this evolutionary thing about what animals are going to look like it, it gets a bit worse too because if you're looking at what animals are winning the race kind of as, as evolution goes it's still a competition for speed and energy efficiency and since like the real world version of this is mostly based on the gait and like the shape of each animal as the deciding factor for like speed and endurance and things. If everything's about the same, according to a study done by Washington University in St. Louis, the next determining factor in the speed energy efficient equation is leg length. So now take all these creepy animals you've been imagining. Take like uh, take the wolf, for example, and imagine a wolf now with eight legs. Now that would be the starter wolf, and as it evolved further under these conditions, the best wolf that's going to win out is going to be the wolf with the longest, longest, skinniest daddy long legs as like legs that you have. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> so not only that, also now that speed's not a deciding factor for like hunting, animals are gonna have to adapt the human tactics for hunting. So all these predators are gonna switch to becoming endurance hunters. So now not only do you have these spindly eight-legged wolves in the forest, it's a spindly eight-legged wolf that is that has evolved to chase you forever at a moderate pace. So it'll always be slowly catching up to you. Oh, no. <laughs> I love it. I want, I want to live in this eight-legged world. You go right the heck ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I need to finish so I can stop thinking about this. One more place things are terrible. Beaches, rivers, and lakes. 
So generally, I, I didn't cover too much in the ocean because most fish just are kind of hindered by their extra legs. Legs are not very good for swimming, so they're kind of just adding drag and slowing down fish. But by giving all these fish legs, we have also sort of made them a bit amphibious. So take, for example, dolphins. Dolphins already toe the line on, like, amphibious hunting through hydroplaning. So dolphins have a behavior where if they're hunting fish close to shore on the beaches, they'll actually start in the deeper water, pick up speed, and then, like, shoot themselves at high speed into the shallow water and literally hydroplane, skim across the thin surface of the water to grab at fish in those shallows and then use their momentum to kind of get themselves back into deep water. Like, it would be in, like, really shallow depths where they would be beached otherwise. So what's nice about that is that it is kind of limited. They do have to make sure they're able to get back into the sea or else they'll be stranded and die. Now they don't have to worry about that. They can just pick up speed in the water and just shoot out as far as they want to go and then just pick themselves up with their legs and go back into the water. They can just go and walk back. So really, all these, like, bigger lake and, you know, water predators can just hunt also the shoreline. And you'll have no idea. They have the perfect hiding spot. They're underwater. So that's adding that. Also... Take that image of the dolphin head with eight legs going across the beach, and remember to turn them into long spindly legs again. No, I hadn't. (laughs) That one just looks funny in my head. It doesn't. (laughs) Your brain is blessed. It is the blessed place in Alex Williams' brain. And a lot. And and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna end it with one last one because I'm kind of, I'm kind of done thinking about it already. And I, I like always adding, throwing this animal into these questions because it's always funny to me. Coral is technically an animal. So (laughs) you can either imagine it as this adorable mobile underwater garden where, you know, these little, you know, cute little corals and things are are going around or a horrifying quivering mass of rock spiders. It's really up to you. (laughs) (laughs) I think that one's my favorite. (laughs) It's not mine. So what if all animals had eight legs? All the world would be horrible the, the, the best looking, the least scary animal will be spiders. And that's the world that's gonna we're going to live in. Alex, what weird bug question did you do? Well, so my weird bug question was, what if every animal, what if everything had this cicada-like uh, cycle that they go through, right? We've got the cicadas that sleep for 17 years. And then I think there's ones that are 14, 21. There's all these different different cycles that we're on. We, as in cicadas, I am a cicada. But uh, now... The truth comes out. The truth comes out. I am a cicada. I thought it was weird why I didn't hear for you for exactly 17 years. Yeah, catch me this year only. <laughs> so basically, every every animal goes in and has their own cicada cycle. They're each on a different set of year, years. Now, with my answer, I went a narrative route. And there's not going to be the same body horror stuff that you're going to find in Ben and Marcus's answers, but uh, that's a here, good thing. <laughs> here we go. So, I I could have gone with telling y'all what we do while we're awake, but I thought it'd be interesting to shed some light on what happens while we're asleep, while we're underground for however long our cycle goes. I chose to leave the length of the cycle intentionally vague. I just think that you know, leave it up to your imagination. Also, I didn't feel like doing a ton of math. I'm like, I didn't want to do math, like picking a number. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 because you'll you'll see you'll see in the story 
uh, how <laughs> how math would have been involved if I made everything specific. So something sciencey to keep in mind is populations go up and down naturally. If there's lots of rabbits one year, it means lots of coyotes the next year because they ate well the the previous year, which means fewer rabbits the following year and fewer coyotes the next because there was less food and so on and so on. The cycle kind of continues like that and maintains a bit of an equilibrium as we go throughout those cycles. Now, this is basically what would happen with us in the cicada world, but it gets a little bit more complicated because we also have these crazy sleep-wake cycles where we might be asleep for 15 years and then awake for 20 or you know, asleep for 100 or 200, just depends. So our prey might be on a different cycle than us. So we might get one year with them, two years without, one year of plenty, two years of nothing, and another normal year. It just depends on how our cycle lines up with theirs, but then also how our cycles line up with their own prey and their other predators. So here, uh, the way I did this, it's, it's some recordings made by human scientists on their studies. So it says... Uh, <clears throat> It's been well documented that other creatures live in cycles like we do. Now, most people in their lifetime will see many of these other creatures, depending where in the human cycle they fall. On our oldest human artifacts, we see interesting depictions of great wars with these other creatures. We know of these creatures, but their populations on our most recent encounters have been quite low. We've set out cameras and other trackers to monitor their activities while we sleep. This is kind of as we get into the technological age, we can do this. Next recording. Since our last cycle, we've seen two cycles of other predators going about their lives while we sleep. Their population seems to have increased since our last encounter. Using our cameras, we also discovered another species of predator. We will continue to monitor the situation. Next recording. The artifacts on which we base our initial fears and suspicions were originally thought to be over-exaggerated. Given the data collected during this most recent sleep cycle, this is no longer the conclusion. More trackers, cameras, and other scientific instruments have been set out around the world. Next recording. It seems there is another species of human. DNA collected, which we believe to be theirs, has indicators of an interbreeding event several thousand years ago. They are not as technologically advanced as us, but have taken to using our infrastructure and have even made some improvements to our tools. We will be leaving information for these other peoples, assuming they decipher our language and make sense of what we're saying. We may be able to make peace and alliance with them despite being separated by time. Next recording. Our message was understood. This cycle has been focused on defense against jaguars, bears, and other predators. It seems we're having a taste of what is to come. It should only be a couple more cycles before we're faced with a serious catastrophe. Next recording. It's becoming apparent to the general public what will eventually happen. Many are calling for the seeking out and destruction of the nests of other species. Of course, this would be genocide decimating an entire population in their sleep. And morality aside, we don't know how this would affect our world's ecosystem. Next recording is just, during our next cycle, we will be faced with the greatest calamity this world has ever seen. And then the next recording, 
I found this device and have listened through the previous recordings. My family and I live in this building and call the area home. Food is scarce and much of our technology is lost, but we are rebuilding. So yeah, so that's why I kept the timeline vague because I, I didn't want to have to get specific about when each animal was awake and when it was asleep uh, in order to match up with humans. If you want to hear the rest of the story, you can uh, buy my book at... Uh, no, just kidding. There's... there's <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's that's my uh, that's my thing. What do you, what do you think? Does it does it pass? It's interesting because uh, one thing I think I think it was you, Alex, telling us about this. We were talking about the questions before the show. I think because you had mentioned that the cicadas being on a weird seventeen year cycle was actually evolutionarily intentional. It's like a little science. Like oh, seventeen years—that's a weird number. It's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The reason cicadas develop these. And they're all, if there's different length periods for cicadas to stay um, underground, but they're all prime numbers, specifically, so what you're saying, these cycles don't line up for them. Right. So that they'll never have the same predators twice, which gives them that, like, their prop, the predator populations will die out or desync, and they can't ever, there can't ever be an animal that lives off cicadas regularly because the cicadas themselves aren't regular. Exactly, exactly. And that's basically what's happening here. But then, of course... At some point, you get these lining up events where you you end up seeing all of these predators coming out at once and these kind of peak events where, you know, where maybe in the previous cycle there was lots of food. And so then in the next cycle, there's going to be a ton of them. But that just so happens to line up coincidentally after thousands of years with the next human cycle. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. <laughs> right, right. And it, like... We don't we don't think about that now, but what if you you know were asleep for two hundred years, and at some point during that two hundred years, these jaguars come out and they are the predominant predator for you know they're three years awake or whatever it happens to be, and they have this huge population boom, and then you wake up at the same time they wake up next, and now there's a ton of both of you right. And so you get these huge culminating events where you're almost going to war with another species because you happen to wake up at the same time because you're not used to sharing resources with them, right? And yeah, and depending on like what the cycles were in the past, it's going to be a whole new set of species and all these things and different plants will thrive. And so it's like all the stuff that you had before wouldn't be relevant anymore. You're going to take a lot more time to gather all the data you need. Right, exactly. And that, that was another thing I thought about just as a last point uh, on the cicada cycle thing is each species would have a, a different length of time that they're awake for, right? In real life, cicadas have this short season where they pop up, they mate, and then they, they go back into the ground, right? But in this situation, that wouldn't really work for humans because a, a human gestation period is nine months, right? And so I thought, okay, we would wake up for about 20 years, we'd spend that time raising a, a child, you know, and then we go to sleep and then you, the next generation comes up and kind of rolling with it that way is kind of what I was thinking. But then during those 20 year periods, there might be another animal that wakes up for their three years. And so you kind of get this crazy, crazy difference where you might be 13 and see the jaguars, but then somebody else in another cycle is one and, and sees them or maybe not at all right it just it just depends but yeah that was my uh my cicada cycle story there's not actually a book but if somebody wants to write that or somebody has written that i'll, I'll read it uh 
what what did you do, Ben? If only Chris was here. He's the he's the science fiction. <laughs> I I know, Chris. Here's here's your next book idea. You're welcome. So I ben. oh 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 I jumped the gun a little bit there. Um, <laughs> yeah, wait for the segue, man. Oh, it's slow. <laughs> I did the segue. Yeah, I got confused. It was order of operations issues. Anyway, so <laughs> I looked at what if all animals started off as caterpillars. And I feel like I've been doing this a lot on my answers, but I'm going to do it once again because clearly all of us, if we think of what a caterpillar is, we know what a caterpillar is. But like, actually, like what actually is a caterpillar? Like, what, what does this mean <laughs> in the terms of like everything is going to be a caterpillar? I just imagine the meme of the guy with the butterflies. Like, is this a caterpillar? Is this a caterpillar? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's not, sir. So a caterpillar is the larva of a moth or a butterfly, which gets us to the next question. What actually is a larva? And a larva, basically it boils down to it is an immature form of an insect. And generally, almost always, it is one that differs greatly from the adult form. And it comes from an egg and then pupates and goes through metamorphosis to turn into whatever the actual adult form is. You know, as I said, laying eggs there. Is everything going to be laying eggs now? Question one. Technically, there are some animals that give live birth to larvae. There are some flies, some species of flies. The one specifically that I saw was the tsetse uh, fly, which, because I learned about this, you have to now too. It is a blood-drinking fly that produces milk and births live larvae that burrow underground and spread a very dangerous disease in tropical Africa called sleeping sickness. Now take that nasty fly image you have and give it eight spindly legs. <laughs> Honestly, can't get much worse. I saw a video of one giving, a bir- giving birth. Not great gonna haunt me for a while the good news the some news is i could not find any butterflies or moths that do live birth so yes everything will now be laying eggs instead of doing live birth so that is i guess change one and like i said we're all going to be going through metamorphosis once we have hashed out of our eggs which of course because we all know how caterpillars and everything work right like everything's gonna be a cocoon right well Actually, no. So it turns out moths use cocoons just like you think. They spin a silk cocoon around themselves and hide in there and change. Butterfly caterpillars don't actually make cocoons. Really? They make a little silk patch they dangle from. And sometimes they make a little um, like support line for like the middle if they're like bigger or if they're in a windy area or whatever. But then the chrysalis they're in, that's just their skin. I guess technically it's their exoskeleton, but they just kind of get all thick. And then change. (laughs) So we we kind of have two options now. There's two ways we can go about thinking about this. Oh wait, I have I have a great joke right here. Well, that's okay. That that's great news because now we'll all have thick skin during puberty. (laughs) A. There you go. This is why we have guests on. (laughs) This is why we have guests on. Um. So there's two ways we can take this. One. We can say everything has exoskeletons now, which is fun. That's a fun change. You know, exoskeletons are cool. I'm happy with my skeleton being on the inside, but I'm open to exploring other options, I guess. The other option is, well, I guess that's what that also happens in the exoskeleton option as well. But the other option is that we still have internal skeletons, but we do all shed our skins. And when we we are pupating, we're just going to look like ourselves, but kind of like hard and weird so uh honestly i couldn't decide which of those made me feel less weird inside 
I guess technically also we could say we all make cocoons, but that feels inaccurate because only, you know, some things will be able to make cocoons, but clearly not everything because there are, you know, butterflies don't and not everything's going to be like a moth. So but the real estate market's crap now too. So you can't just afford a place to live like that. That That is true. Yeah. You know, have you seen the cost of silk these days? Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen the cost of silk these days? <laughs> in this economy? <laughs> a cocoon in this economy. But I think I decided to go with just a mixture, right? I didn't want to think too hard about it because the idea of like me personally shedding my skin made me very unhappy, which good news, whether or not we go with the like shedding your skin for the pupating, we are still when we are uh, caterpillars going to be shedding our skin because caterpillars actually grow quite a bit while they are caterpillars between that time where they, you know, they come out of the egg and when they start pupating. A monarch caterpillar, which is probably just because of the way the American educational system work, works, the one that most people are familiar with, because for some reason, every science class has you do stuff with monarchs. I don't know why. Is that a thing in, in Canada, too? Oh, yeah. I'll talk about. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's because they're they're beautiful. They're famous. They you know, they, they fly in these huge, huge uh, packs or flocks or whatever a group of monarchs is called i don't i don't know uh it's a, a court i hope it's a court that'd be cool a court yeah i was thinking something royal yeah i feel like someone's getting rich off of this right there's some dude who just sells like monarch caterpillars to schools and is making like bank on all this a group okay what is this they're like super endangered though oh that's sad yeah but oh it's um it's called a roost a roost of a, oh, i got a wait uh bivouac uh, excuse me an, an eaglet i have like eight different answers here for what you call a bunch of butterflies pretty there's also a flutter a rabble a rabble and did you know a group of butterflies is called the kaleidoscope oh that's fun i like that one can we go with that one a kaleidoscope of yes, butterflies a kaleidoscope, a kaleidoscope. I like kaleidoscope this one is from facebook.com stash videos that did you know that no i don't know if i trust <laughs> that but i like it no, no. it sounds yeah. cool so yeah you, you know, know what whatever. If a fact is cool, it's the rule of cool. If a fact sounds cool, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. We roll with it. Mm. Yeah. That is that is true. <laughs> so anyway, the monarch caterpillar in the time in the, uh, the 10 to 14 days between when they hatch and when they start pupating, their mass increases roughly 2,000 times. Wow. Yeah. And in that time, they eat roughly 200 times their weight. So we're going to be a bunch of, of hungry growing boys. This makes sense because, you know, if you think about it, uh, we've talked about, you know, hibernation multiple times on this podcast. It's kind of the same idea, right? Where you're going to be, um, let's say, indisposed for a period of time and you have to store up the nutrition you need to go through. Well, for hibernation, it's just living. But But you're literally describing the plot of the hungry, hungry caterpillar. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, For this, you're literally, you know, you are changing your body. There's a lot of energy required in that whole, whole process. So speaking of eating of course everyone's gonna be herbivores now right when they're they're a caterpillar because caterpillars of course only eat plants right because that'd be weird otherwise well turns out (laughs) so (laughs) there are roughly 150,000 species of butterfly and moth and of that 150,000 around 200 of those are actually predatory Um, so about 0.13 percent are actually predatory and most of those eat, you know, ants or other small insects, which kind of is what you expect. But once again, I had to learn about this. So you have to, too. There are also four caterpillars, actually, such as the, oh, oh, no. Oh, no. I have a Latin name. I didn't practice this one. Hi- mm. Hyposmacoma, 
Moluscavoreus. Moluscavoreus. Moluscavoreus? Sure. Hi- okay, that one. Or the snail-eating caterpillar, which, as you might imagine, eats snails. They capture them in their silk and then crawl inside the shell and eat them alive. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Uh, they live uh, exclusively in the islands of Maui and uh, Molokai and Hawaii. They're about a third of an inch long, and they sometimes decorate their silk case with actual snail shells. Wikipedia said perhaps it's camouflage. I think they're just, like, boasting or threatening, <laughs> one of the two. It's like hanging antlers on your wall. Yeah, you know, it's, it's yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, you know, having, like, a deer, deer head on your wall, but it's just literally on their person, which is pretty metal, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I want to mount a bunch of tiny snail shells on, like, full-on wooden plaques and just, like, hang them around my house. That would be so great. <laughs> that would be wonderful. <laughs> Don't mess with my lawn, stupid snails. So what's what's going to actually happen here? Because the, the problem, we're going to run into a problem. So everything is now going to be laying eggs, the hashing the caterpillars. They're very, very hungry and overwhelmingly herbivorous. I'm going to pretend that's a word. Or how it's pronounced it, if it actually is a word, who knows? I think you just nailed it. I think it's fine. Cool. I'm going to take it. The problem we have is that we're suddenly going to have a very, very big strain on the plant life on this planet. Um, Because, yes, there will be that 0.13% that is predatory and goes nuts and eats every living creature around them for a couple of weeks. But all other of these caterpillars that are, you know say, like, an elephant caterpillar is going to be just devouring, like, entire trees. And I think that what actually is going to wind up happening if everything is a caterpillar, because of this huge requirement for plants for nutrition, is that in a a twist that we have not actually had in a while, I think we're going to kill all the plants again. Aww. (laughs) It's not good when we kill all the plants. We haven't done it in a while. But I think it's... Lots of things go bad when you kill all the plants. Yeah, it's not great. And it's particularly, yeah, just in general, plants good, no plants bad. And once again, this makes sense. Caterpillars are actually one of the biggest pests that, like, farmers have to deal with because they do just drop in and eat everything around them for an extended period of time. So I wound up not having to worry too much about the, like, greater, um, you know, minutia of what caterpillars of different species would look like because it doesn't really matter. Everything's going to die because we're eating all the plants. So, you know, Mm. there you go. The world always ends. We have not killed all the plants in a long time. I'm glad I was finally able to bring it back. What what, what you really got to watch out for is the one caterpillar species that figures out how to eat cocoons. Oh, yeah. No, it's going to happen. Yeah. It's going to be freaking mosquitoes. Mosquito caterpillars just going to (laughs) freaking soak Be like... And just soak up all the all the cocoons. Oh, thank you for dissolving yourself for me. <laughs> yeah, now I'll just drink all of you. Instead Actually, of just maybe, maybe spiders are the real winners because they, you know, normally they have to trap things, put them in silk, and then suck them up. But here, the things are doing <laughs> half of that for them. Right. Yeah, everyone. <laughs> they just pop them with a straw and go to work. It's a little. It's literally just Grubhub for spiders. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's Larva Hub. Hey. Anyway. Hey. <laughs> All right, well, that's good. I, th- I think it's good that we killed all the plants because that means all the eight-legged animals dies and the humans can see that after they come out of their uh, After they wake up. I say we just combine all of these and we, we go in our cocoons in the ground and, uh, and wake up with eight legs. 
<laughs> that would be the worst. Oh, no. I'm gonna, dr- you know, what? I'm gonna freaking dream that, Alex, because your brain is immune to apparently terrible imagery. <laughs> I'm gonna wake up. I'm gonna have a dream about waking up with eight legs, and I'm gonna wake up with like sleep paralysis or something, and it's gonna feel really, really real for like really, really short amount of seconds. But it's gonna suck. I can't wait to hear about it. No, I don't <laughs> want it to happen. <laughs> Rude. Rude guests. <laughs> Means I get to cut off into the break. I'll uh, I'll be back in another hundred episodes. So. No, you'll be back in like, well, five seconds after this audio sting. Alex, you're the guest. I'm going to start with you. Are you ready for the Would You Rather? I am ready. Would you rather... Your voice sound like Elmo or Kermit the Frog? Are you serious? <laughs> All I do is use my voice on podcasting. <laughs> Such a bad situation to be in. Elmo or Kermit the Frog? Oh. I, I don't think this is a choice. I think I'm going to go with Kermit the Frog. Because Elmo's like high pitched and, you know, but Kermit the Frog at least it's like, Kermit the Frog is something you could listen to and be like yeah he's here to give me information but elmo would just be like just stop just just like stop get like turn off the microphone just never podcast again that's how i feel elmo has a voice that if it came out of a person's mouth they would not be loud around children (laughs) (laughs) yes yes yeah so that's uh kermit the frog that that (laughs) i think that one's a little too easy hold on there's no there's no argument for elmo yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. It's what, I, I gave it. I made a too easy one. All right. Here, here, here's here, here's one. Okay. Here's a, here's a right. Here's a more a better one. Alex, would you rather be a penguin or an otter? Ooh. Uh, hmm. Both have such good like PR, you know. But I I feel like otters are actually monsters. And I was going to say, I feel like we've discussed in this podcast that otters are actually not great. <laughs> yeah, this has been on your show. I think that's where I learned that. You guys are the ones who, who taught me. I was listening to the show, and I was like, I immediately have to tell everyone how evil otters are. You guys find the whatever episode that is. People need to listen to it. But yeah, so penguins, they, I, I just feel like, you know, they're wholesome. Yeah, so otters, otters are jerks, and... I say jerks, like, they're jerks like dolphins are jerks in that what they actually, their behavior to, like, things is really reprehensible. Like, there'll be otters that will kidnap other mother's otter, baby otters and, like, dra- like threaten to drown them to get the mother's food. Like, kidnapping and, you know... Arson. Rape, even for, like, oh. even for, like, the animal kingdom, <laughs> kind of, like, it's very not cool. That said... Penguin's life kind of sucks. But it's cute. Yeah. (laughs) So penguin life switches between the nice season where you trek miles across the land into the sea to go grab fish and then waddle back like miles to get back to your kids to feed them. And while you're fishing, which is like the one cool part of your life, like the main thing is just giant killer whales are going to like eat you and then in the winter months you just have you have the big cuddle puddle where you just try not to freeze to death but you have to take your turn on the outside of the huddle bundle like you gotta take your turn on the outside of the penguin mats where it's really fragging cold and then you just have to stand there 
in the literal dark because it's always nighttime for the whole winter because that's how the sun works in the Arctic. So you are living that kind of life. It's not pleasant. You have good community, though. I do love cuddling. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? Since you were semantic on the octopuses, octopi thing, I'm going to be semantic on the Antarctic versus the Arctic. Penguins are in the Antarctic, Marcus. Um, but That was really fun because Marcus, Marcus knew it was one of them, didn't remember which one. You know what's funny? I, what's really funny, too, was I was catching myself with that. I, was ca- I knew I was trying to get it semantically correct, and I swapped probably four times. And basically, I wanted to say the southern one, the Antarctic, but I wanted to be careful with my wording, so I avoided using Antarctica as the continent for some reason. <laughs> so I just said the Arctic trying to cover both of them, but the Arctic just means the north one, so I just got it wrong. Right, yeah. So um, what, I, what I will say, though, is I would just choose to be one of the penguins who don't live on Antarctica. I'd live in Chile or Australia. Oh, that's oh, true. There are there are summer climate penguins. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, a game changer. Okay. Um, I was I was all ready to deliberate, but that is actually a game changer. I will say, otter's life is pretty cool. I I think I could be an otter and not be a dick. Like, I mean, every there's otter always gonna that. be there's gonna yeah. be <laughs> yeah. Well, no, not everybody <laughs> thinks you're a dick. <laughs> Nobody knows. Not everyone knows that otters are terrible. Yeah, you're gonna have some bad neighbors, but. Otter's life is pretty cool. They, they they can move really like smoothly and do lots of cool stuff in the water. It seems like otters have a good time. You just, I mean, penguins move smoothly and do lots of cool stuff in the water too. I will say, as someone who has seen, you know, both of these animals in captivity, the otters always seem to be having a lot more fun in captivity than the penguins do. The penguins kind of just stand around on rocks most of the time and occasionally swim in circles. The otters are always like, hanging out and like backstroking and like playing with shit i don't know it's great right right okay well okay if i was in captivity i'd be an otter if i was in the wild i'd be a penguin but i mean i just wonder if that makes me feel that like the otters naturally more adaptable and happier in, in their life you know <laughs> are otters just more easygoing <laughs> yeah they're chill well may- maybe it's because when the humans kidnap them they say ah well my mom kidnapped some kid <laughs> right. they're I just used saying, to it yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know <laughs> fair is fair (laughs) yeah they just they just see it as karma all right i'm gonna i'm gonna start i'm gonna i'm gonna decide i'm gonna pick otter i also just like having some form of hands is nice a a little bit a little bit dexterity there plus i don't know it just seems odd i like otters a lot if they weren't such dicks so if i could just be an otter who's not one boom i could be an otter you need to be the change you want to see in this world yeah, you can, I need to you be can the change, change the I want system, to see yeah. in the otter Change the system from the inside, Marcus. <laughs> uh, ben? Uh, I think I also have to go otter. Even if they're dicks, I just want to be an adorable little river pirate. I don't know. like <laughs> They are. That's a, yeah. They're so cute. Alex, have we convinced you off of penguins? No, there are so many more documentaries about penguins. I'm going to be famous. <laughs> Fine, you'll, you'll, you'll be a penguin, be a penguin for exposure. <laughs> For the views. <laughs> yes, yes. Like, comment, subscribe. I'm the one penguin with the YouTube channel. <laughs> Welcome to the Penguin Podcast, where I just... <laughs> where I squawk. I don't know what sound... Yeah, I just squawk at the microphone for half an hour at a time. Yeah. And that'll kind of do it for today. Um, Definitely check out Alex Williams' podcast. Check out the new Star Wars podcast. Check out Broken Bulbs check out all the other podcasts he does there's actually even more than the ones i've mentioned i just haven't written them down and sometimes i forget (laughs) specifically what they're called but i've listened to pretty much 
at least one episode of all of them and always enjoy it. I mean, you can tell from this episode, he's a great, cool guy. He sounds just like this in his podcast, except he's talking about slightly less ridiculous things. Right. <laughs> and I'm mostly just asking questions. Yeah. And if you like this podcast, let us know. Leave us a nice review on your favorite podcast player. If you want to also be part of the show, one of the easiest ways to do that is send us a question. Uh, go to absurdhypotheticals at gmail.com. Put that in the send spot. Send us your question and we like receiving them. And if we you send us a question we like or something that we want to work with you on, we will more than happy to make it a question that we do on the show. And then you will be immortalized forever on this podcast, which is just incredible, amazing for just sending one email. And if you want to help directly with your hard-earned dollars, www.patreon.com slash absurdhypotheticals and hit that become a patron. Just $1. Get the bonus content. You know the drill. And after you've done all those things, one after the other, they're all mandatory to listen to next week's episode, which is a lightning round. Boom, boom, boom. Lightning. (laughs) Instead of answering one big question, we answer lots of questions. No prep. Rapid fire. Lots of fun. Episode 150, guys. We did it. See you next week. Mm-hmm.